Welcome, welcome, welcome. I would like to welcome you to episode 365 of the Unpopular Podcast. This is the man, the myth, the legend, Jalen Hunter. Yeah, you heard it correctly, y'all. 365 episodes, yo. That is an, an, an earthly year of episodes. That's that's a lot. That's a lot. But hey, we're still going. Um, here at the Unpopular Podcast, now we ask you to agree with me. I'm asking you to hear me out. I'm sure throughout the duration of this episode, I'm going to specify and continue to reiterate the fact that we are still early in this NFL season. It is week two just ended, and tomorrow, week three begins with Thursday night football. But in these first two weeks, you're starting to see things that could manifest into bigger things as we barrel down towards the end of the season, you know, as we continue this seasonal train that we are of the NFL season. And where I want to start is America's team. I want to start with the Dallas Cowboys because the 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 rhetoric, the conversation that you're hearing around the Dallas Cowboys right now is this is the best team in football and this is the best shot that the Dallas Cowboys has or that they've ever had since, of course, their championship windows were wide open with Troy Aikman and Emmitt Smith. This is probably the best Cowboys team that we've seen since those iterations of the Cowboys. I know there was, I don't remember, I think it was maybe 2013, 2016 or something where they went 13-3, and three, but people are saying that this is the best Cowboys team that they have ever seen. And if you look at the numbers, you look at the statistics, it's very hard to refute anything different. You know, it's very hard to not see where those opinions are coming from. You know, they they beat the Jets, what, 30, 30 to 10. I know they beat the the Giants the first week, 40 to 0. They're outscoring their so they're obviously outscoring their opponents seventy to ten. They're just destroying people, and I understand where people are saying, or and why people are saying that this Cowboys team not only is the best team in football, but the best iteration of the Cowboys that they've ever seen. And we're going to talk about the the New York Giant or New York Jets side of this in a second. But here's my take on the situation. The things that are clear two weeks into the season is that I believe my defensive player of the year prediction, which was Michael Parsons, that seems to be a home run right now. In in football, there is a there's a conversation that is starting to brew. Or let me say, it's been brewing for a while, but it's starting to to get louder. And that is who was the best player in or who was the best defensive player in football. For the longest, it's been Aaron Donald, and it hasn't really been close. Yeah, you've had J.J. Watt, who obviously is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, obviously one of the best defensive players we've ever had. 
Uh, you had Darrell Revis, a couple, you know, Revis Island. We, we've had him a couple years. But it's been Aaron Donald, and it's been Aaron Donald for a while. But when you look today, the conversation kind of stems towards Nick Bosa or TJ Watt or now Minka Parsons or Michael Parsons. I apologize. When you look at this Dallas Cowboys team, for the longest you could say that, and, and what's usually said in football is, you're only as good as your quarterback, and your quarterback is the most important player on your football team. And while we'll talk about Dak in a second, in fact, no, we'll talk about Dak now. Dak Prescott is extremely important, and to me, the key to if this team is a championship team or not. And that's saying a lot about this Dallas Cowboys team, especially coming from a Washington fan. But I'm not going to go as far as saying that this is the best Dallas Cowboys team we've ever seen. But what I will say is this Dallas Cowboys team is at least two weeks in, in my opinion, the best football team in football. There's not much holes. In fact, I don't really know that there are any holes outside of one. But when we talk about this defense, you have Michael Parsons, you have Trayvon Diggs, you have Malik Hooker, you have Javon Kirsch, you have Demarcus Lawrence, you have Stephon Gilmore, who is an incredible player, former defensive player of the year. Offense. On Sunday, CeeDee Lamb had 11 catches for 143 yards. You just don't see that from one player that often unless that player is elite. And, of course, when CeeDee Lamb is on and when the Dallas Cowboys offense is on, he is considered elite. But going back to my first point, while Dak Prescott is probably the most important piece to unlocking this Dallas Cowboys championship potential, the best player on the Dallas Cowboys is Michael Parsons. And through two weeks, I think that it's very clear that Michael Parsons is the best defensive player in football. Again, and we'll talk about it throughout the entirety of the show, but we have multiple people that you can, of course, throw their name in the ring. But Micah Parsons has been the best player on the field in any football game this season. Early, but still, he is the best. With his speed, with his you know relentless pursuit of the quarterback, with his tackling ability, his... His sack ability. There's nothing that Michael Parsons can't do. I think the the only criticism that Parsons saw, especially last year, was his engine. Especially when you look at towards the latter half of the season, which I definitely want to see if things have changed. Last year, he I'm not going to say he fell off the cliff, but he definitely slowed down from the output he was putting in the beginning of the year. And that really hurt this Dallas Cowboys team. I'm interested to see once we get to week seven, once we get to week 10, once we get to week 13, week 15, is he still, does he still have the motor 
that he has in week two. I understand that it's very, you know, it's 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 almost irrational to ask someone to be to keep up the same energy for an entire season. But when you have a team this good and you have you're talking about their best player, that's kind of expected. When we talk about basketball, man, we expect LeBron James especially prime LeBron James, young LeBron James. We respect him to play the same in in game 1 that he did in game 64. Like that's what that's the expectation when you're someone that great and Michael Parsons is that great. I think that this Dallas Cowboys team is the best team in football right now. Now again, and I told you this in the beginning. I'm going to continue to reiterate throughout this episode that we're only two weeks into the season. But with this with this two weeks, the Dallas Cowboys is the best team. Now, where is that hole I was talking about? When you look at the numbers, it's very hard to see a hole with this Dallas Cowboys team that have multiple interceptions. Again, they're beating their opponents 70 to 10 for the season at this point. Dak Prescott hasn't thrown, I don't know if he's thrown a interception yet. But it's this offense. And I know you look at the numbers on Sunday 31 for 38, 255 yards against C.D. Lamb, 11 receptions for 143 yards. uh, Tony Bollard had 25 carries for 72 yards. I'm still holding out. I will say this. Their first two opponents aren't the, the... hasn't come out the gate exactly how they wanted to probably and how we thought they would like the Giants the Giants we'll talk about the Giants a little bit later but the Giants were were almost I think we're down 20 points against the Arizona Cardinals before they made their epic comeback and we know about you know Daniel Jones and the contract and and what the team went through going into or coming into the season was a lot and of course, for the Jets on Sunday, we know with Aaron Rodgers and and now you have Zach Wilson and how that that offensive line, even coming into the season, really wasn't that good. And now you have Zach Wilson at the helm, you know. But I will say that if they continue to play this, in fact, I'll say this: if they continue to play this way. While, yes, I can concede that right now they are the best team in football, I think their offense needs to kick it up. Their, Dak Prescott needs to play a little bit better. Their their team needs to be a little more balanced. I think that they are the best team in football right now because of you know their offense and everything. Um, I'm not too sure if they can win a Super Bowl with this type of offense. Now, with this defense, yes. This defense, to me, is probably... Right now, the best defense in football, you can argue with the 49ers, but and maybe the Pittsburgh Steelers, but we'll talk about them too. I just think that the offense needs to, the, the balance needs to be there. Right now, I think it's the defense is up here. The offense is about right here. I'm not saying the offense is bad, but it just hasn't matched the productivity, in my opinion. I know that's crazy when you look at, again, set, they've scored 70 points in two games, and it's crazy to think, what the hell? But... 
when you look at if you've seen both games and looked at both games, you'd understand that the, the, most of it is the defense and the turnovers. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not throwing shade at the Dallas Cowboys. I'm just saying I do agree with people saying that this is the best team currently in football. But until that that the match, until you match the energy or until the, the, the offense is matching the defense, you know, it's going to be a long one. Let me talk about the other side of the football for a Or let me talk about the other team on Sunday for a second. We know what the Jets are. The Jets know what the Jets are right now. The reason why there was such a worldwide gasp when they saw Aaron Rodgers go down is because not just because you know Aaron Rodgers got hurt and nobody really wants to see anyone get hurt you know but the reason why there was like a worldwide gasp or when I say worldwide I mean like in the in the professional sports fandom realm you know is because we know or we've seen what's behind curtain number two when we talk about the New York Jets. Curtain number two is Zach Wilson as your starting quarterback. And Zach Wilson being your starting quarterback is the pure is the 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 poster child to you're only as important and you're only as good as your quarterback. Because when you look at this Jets team, outside of poss- probably their offensive line. This is a championship caliber team. This is a championship caliber defense. They have championship caliber players on the offensive side of the ball, but they have Zach Wilson as their starting quarterback. Now that Aaron Rodgers is out for the season. And I know that the, you know, he took an experimental innovative thing or procedure and he could be back for the playoffs. I think that's incredibly irresponsible. Uh, for Aaron Rodgers and for this team to allow him to come back because again I understand that the the window for Aaron Rodgers is quite small right now seeing as though his age and now with his injury but the last thing you want to do is trot him out I know that you have Cam Akers who came back five months I believe you have uh, Adrian Peterson who came back and they're both running backs and Adrian Peterson won the MVP or I think comeback player of the year one of those two but, no, I would just, I understand you don't want to punt on seasons, but no. But that's not what we're talking about right now. What we're talking about is Sunday. And the bigger picture is, even going into Sunday, you know your team. You, we, fans, we know who the Jets are. And we know who the Jets should be with Zach Wilson as their quarterback because we know Zach Wilson is not a good starting quarterback. He may have moments. He may have flashes. But 
he's not a good starting quarterback. And even in those moments and even in those flashes, he needs help for those moments to be moments and for those flashes to be flashes. We talk about the Garrett Wilson catch in week one against the Bills. No one talks about the fact that that was a bad throw. We're just going to talk about how incredible that catch was. Or you can talk about the, I think it was like 60-something or 70-something yard touchdown to Garrett Wilson. It was a slant, and Garrett Wilson just ran faster than the Cowboys' defense on Sunday. I say all that to say this. You go into a game, and the, the object of the game obviously is to win, but to put your team in the best position to win. I don't think... Even though it sounds pedestrian, but having Zach Wilson throw the ball 27 times is not the key to winning. Obviously, they lost 30 to 10. Your current best players on offense is Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall, and probably Dalvin Cook. Brees Hall was incredible game one, and before his injury last year, he was the front runner for the offensive rookie of the year. Now, of course, you have the person that did win the offensive rookie of the year, and Garrett Wilson also on the team, but Brees Hall was the front runner for that. I understand that this is a passing league, right? But there's no way when you have Zach Wilson as your quarterback and you have Dalvin Cook and Brees Hall as your running backs that they combined should have eight carries the entire game. Especially when you have Zach Wilson as your quarterback. I understand you're down. But this defense is good enough to keep you in games even when you're down and even when your your quarterback is Zach Wilson. The problem is, and the thing that you saw on Sunday, is the defense was playing incredible defense against the Cowboys, but they were on the field so long that they started to tire out. Well, when you go into the gameplay and say, we're going to run the ball down their throat, I don't know why you abandoned the run so quickly. They abandoned the run in the first quarter. There should be no, in no way, shape, or form should you have Zach Wilson as your quarterback and not run the ball more than you throw. So while I do want to say congratulations to the Cowboys for beating the Jets 30-10, to 10, I do think that a lot of the win was because of how good the Cowboys were, it, are. But it also... Uh, the win, a lot of the win is also because it was just poor game plan, in my opinion, from the Jets. You should never abandon the run when you have Breach Hall and Dalvin Cook. I understand Dalvin Cook fumbled. I get that. But when you have at least Brees Hall, Brees, Zach Wilson should never have more carries than Brees Hall. Ever. And... It ultimately doomed them because you're already starting behind the eight ball with Zach Wilson as your quarterback, especially when you thought you had Aaron Rodgers through the whole season. 
So to do that and to abandon the run, just bad news. But congratulations to the Dallas Cowboys for beating the Jets 30-10. to 10. I know it's early. And I, I know that um, I know that the Bears going into it I know the Bears aren't a good team. Now, I thought with the departure of Aaron Rodgers, uh, of course, leaving the NFC North, I thought that the NFC North was now wide open. Uh, And I thought that with Justin Fields and the new acquisitions that the Bears got, especially they, they they spent almost the most money in the NFL this offseason on defense. Now, of course, you also have DJ Moore and you have Claypool from last year. You have Commit, the the tight end. I thought that this was the year where you would see a major jump. Not just from Justin Fields, but from this entire Bears organization. Because when you have a player like Aaron Rodgers in your division, it kind of it's it's almost like especially two, three, four weeks into a season, you kind of know, all right, we're we're playing for second. That's not the case now. But I say all that to say the Bears are terrible. In every facet of the game, they're not good. It doesn't seem like they're coached well. It doesn't. Their defense is horrible. Their offense is bad. And we'll talk. We're going to sit on that for a second. Let me first say congratulate the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for beating the Bears 27 to 17. And I do want to give a shout out to Baker Mayfield. I was incredibly uh, critical of Baker Mayfield coming into the season. But on Sunday, again, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, shockingly to me, is 2-0. and uh, But he was 26 for 34, 317 yards, one touchdown. This The, the, the Tampa Bay defense ha- was incredible on Sunday. And Baker Mayfield was good yet again for another week. So, shouts out to them. But I, I think this game is more of is, – is a is, – tells more of a bigger picture about Justin Fields and this Bears team. You see, I am slow. In fact, I believe. I am slow to quote-unquote kill a player. And when I say that, I, I mean that, of course, for people that are listening. I put that in air quotes because obviously I'm not going to kill a player, but I feel, especially in football, a lot has to go right for a player to be good. Now, there are some players that are just, you step on the field and you're obviously the best player on the field, like Michael Parsons we just talked about. Yeah, I think he can be, he'll be great in any um, any team, any scheme. 
Patrick Mahomes. I do think that it definitely helps that you have Aaron and Andy Reid, but I think Patrick Mahomes would be great in any uh, scheme in any organization. I'm starting to feel like I am wrong about Justin Fields. Now, shouts out to the great Dan Orlowski. I'm not putting he alongside with myself. I'm not putting Sunday's loss solely on Justin Fields. I think when you run the same exact play back to back at the end of the game, which the second time, the, the same exact screen, the same exact formation, the same exact side. And I think you get a pick six the next because, I mean, you're. There's no way when you're playing a veteran team, when you're playing a team that won a Super Bowl just a couple years ago, and mainly that same defense, it, you're not going to how you you're, it's not even fooling them. You're doing the same exact thing like Dan Orlowski shouts out to him pointed out. So I'm not putting this loss solely on Baker Mayfield. I mean, on Justin Fields. I do think that the coaching staff and his coordinating team has failed him throughout majority of his career. But what I am doing is putting the onus on Justin Fields or putting what needs to be on Justin Fields on Justin Fields, and that is Justin Fields has not improved at all since coming into the league. Yes, he's had flashes, but when you're an NFL quarterback, I think almost every single quarterback has had flashes, right? Justin Fields has had flashes, and that's kind of why I was I wanted to be so high on Justin Fields. Because I've seen him play incredible. I've seen him be great. I've seen him play again. I, I think he they beat him or he beat them. I've seen him beat the Patriots. I've seen him be the best player on the field. But that's what that's just what they are. They're flashes. Justin Fields, at least two games in, has not seen the field at all. We're going to talk about another quarterback that hasn't really seen the field that well. But Justin Fields has been horrible. On Sunday, 16 for 29, 211 yards, one touchdown, two picks. The Bears went out. Again, the Bears as a whole, aren't good. They went out and spent most of their money on the defensive side of the ball, and their defense is trash. I'll be real with you. But I think what's more disheartening is I thought we would see in a, in a jump, a leap from Justin Fields, and we've seen quite the opposite. In fact, it looks like through two weeks, he's regressed. Stayed the same at best. I don't know. The The Bears are starting to look like the same old Bears. Now, I'm, I'm talking about the Bears that we've seen in recent history. Not, of course, the, you know, Dick Buckus Bears. It's unfortunate how bad Justin Fields looks because when you have, to me, an, a, a division wide open and you come out the gate, and it's, it's, it's one thing being 0-2, but 
but being as bad as the jet or, or as the the Bears have been and Owen too is tough. And a lot of that is on the regression. There's a lot wrong with the Bears, but a lot of it is, in my opinion, the regression of Justin Fields. And I understand you're playing a good defense. Don't get me wrong. I get it. But, bro, Justin Field, he hasn't been able to see the field all that well. He holds the ball. He holds onto the ball way too long, which allows sacks, which allowed poor decisions. There was one famous play that's going around where he held the ball, and, and it feels like he literally ran right into the arms of two defenders. I know it's two weeks in, but the hope, the, the, the small amount of hope that I had about this Bears team is, I, I'm not going to say completely out the window, but it's fleeting and fast. And a lot of it is because of how bad Justin Fields has looked. I'm a, The next game I want to talk about is the Pittsburgh Steelers winning their first game of the season, beating this Cleveland Browns 26 to 22. I want to first talk about I want let me first congratulate TJ Watt. TJ Watt became the all-time Steelers leader in sacks um on on Monday Night Football and he also recorded his first uh defensive touchdown so shouts out to tj watt shouts out to the steelers for winning the conversation today is around obviously matt canada who is the offensive coordinator for the pittsburgh steelers and as we know the pittsburgh steelers offense has been a, a, a terrible I don't think in in Matt Canada's tenure, he does not have a 400-yard offensive game, whether that's running, whether that's passing. He has not produced. In fact, I don't think he's produced a 300-yard offensive game. And as highly touted and has as much as I praised this um, Steelers team, coming into the season because of how good they looked in the preseason. None of that seems to be here, at least offensively. None of that seems to be here for the Steelers. And I'm not here defending Matt Canada at all. I do think that Matt Canada has been a major reason why this this Steelers offensive team or the Steelers offense has been stale to <laughs> to to be to, to keep it to, to be positive I guess you could say has been stale but when you have Najee Harris who they, there's just no creativity to this offense Najee Harris is not not the fastest running back you have him running shooting or running out the shotgun like it it's it's just not nothing there's nothing creative about this offense for the Steelers and I, I will say a lot of that, 
I know you have you're, I'm not gonna say the void of talent at the offense or the wide receiver position, especially with Deontay Johnson going into the IR. But you do have George Pickens, who did have four yards or four receptions for 127 yards, but 71 of that was on one play. Um, again, I don't think Kenny Pickett or this offense has had a 300-yard game. So I do want to place blame where blame should be placed with Matt Canada. He has, to me, not been creative at all for the all and in this Steelers team that has good weapons good pieces just is inept at the offensive position and I do think a lot of that is because of the Matt Canada scheme but a lot of what we've seen especially these first two weeks and how bad the Steelers have looked at least offensively is because of Kenny Pickett as well Kenny Pickett has been horrible And I talked about Justin Fields just now and seeing the field. It doesn't seem like Justin Fields seems to or sees the field all too well. Well, the same can the exact same thing can be said for Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett, he just looks lost a lot of the times. And and it's a shame when you look to me, you can clearly see the problem with the Steelers. The Steelers still have one of the best defenses in football. I just talked about um I just talked about TJ Watt and having the most sacks and st- or being the franchise leader in sacks. You still have uh Minka Fitzpatrick who I know he did go out and he, he had like chest problems and he went to the hospital but he's out and should be okay. You have Joey Porter Jr. this or the second. He's he's really good. Like you have good players, Alex Highsmith, Keenan Neal, Patrick Pearson, who I think he's kind of like over the hill, Patrick Pearson, but he's still he's still doing his thing. Quan Alexander um, and Cameron Hayward, he's out, but he should be coming back. It's definitely not on the defense now. Week one, you can kind of say it was on the defense. The defense wasn't that good. But... The the clear issue that this Steelers team has is the offense. Now you you heard fans talking about fire Matt Canada. I understand the frustration around them, but you also have to be clear. Kenny Pickett has not been good at all this this regular season, and until he starts seeing the field well, and until he starts getting more comfortable in the pocket and getting more comfortable out the pocket it's there's it doesn't matter how great this defense is this is not a 49er situation the the defense for the 49ers is is much better than the offense but the offense is still good Brock Purdy is is oh is good Kenny Pickett has been bad and again until he makes a leap this Steelers team is good and I know I had them as a sleeper, but I also thought Kenny Pickett was going to be a lot better. I think this defense is incredible, and I think de- this defense and T.J. Watt in particular definitely has a case to to be the de- best defensive player in the world and to be the defensive player of the year. But as far as team success, I don't see much of it with Kenny Pickens as the head coach. 
or can he pick it? I'm sorry, as the head coach. I mean, as the the starting quarterback. Mike Tomlin's still an incredible head coach, but with Matt Canada and Kenny Pickett, I don't know much. I don't know what much to tell you as far as uh, success wise. But shouts out to T.J. Watt uh, for being the all time leader in sacks in Steelers history, and shouts out for recording your first, um, your first defensive touchdown. Now let's talk about the Cleveland Browns. I've had a lot of people. I did a I talked about the Cleveland Browns when I did my divisional breakdown and I was I'm not going to say critical, but I was honest about what I see from the Cleveland Browns and what I've seen from the Cleveland Browns, especially last year with Deshaun Watson. And how it's it's almost irrational to think that Deshaun Watson is going to be the same player that we remember him in Houston, at least last year, because this is the first year since in like two years that he played. But I think Monday Night Football is where Monday Night Football against the Steelers, week two, I think the Cleveland Browns season is over. Now, if we get a better Deshaun Watson, then of course that that statement is not valid. Let me first send prayers up to Nick Chubb. Um, He had a very gruesome injury to his leg the same leg and he he damn pretty much had the same injury a couple years ago um he's out for the season i hope for a speedy recovery the way that i'm not gonna if you want to go see it go see it but it's very gruesome and his he's definitely done for the season i know it's been confirmed but i didn't need adam Schefter to tell me the way that his leg bent it's over with as far as this season. And that right there is why I think that this season is over for the Cleveland Browns. Nine, mostly because of Nick Chubb being gone, but the reason, the reason why that is such a huge blow or it's a bigger blow than people think is because we know how good Nick Chubb is. We know that Nick Chubb is widely considered one of, if not the best running back in football. But the greatness of Nick Chubb is able or is able to balance out the the poor, poor play from Deshaun Watson. Let's get it let's let's be clear here. We know the contract Deshaun Watson has. And with that contract comes expectations. Expectations that Deshaun Watson has come nowhere close to meeting. Again, I understand that last year 
you're you, you it's 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 an easy it's irrational to think that Deshaun Watson is going to look like he did two years prior in Houston. But this is two weeks in to this season, and Deshaun Watson has been horrible. He's not seeing the field well. He's not. He doesn't have the same zip on the ball. On Monday Night Football, he had two really questionable face masks. Like, dude, what are you doing? And this game was for the taking. This game was for the Cleveland Browns to win. The defense was playing great. I understand Nick Chubb going out was was a big blow, but the defense was still good. David Njaku, the tight end, he was playing well. But Deshaun Watson was a huge reason why this team didn't win. Again. So for the people inside no bro, the, 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 the comments and people that are saying how wrong I am about and how I'm being unfair. <laughs> to Deshaun Watson. How am I being? A, you are the highest paid player in NFL history. I understand that a contract doesn't necessarily tell what you're supposed to do. But what I am saying is that a contract does bold expectations. And when you're the highest paid player, I'm not saying you have to win every game, but you have to look much better than Deshaun Watson has looked. Deshaun Watson is the main reason why they're one and one and not two and zero. Oh. And honestly, honestly, Deshaun Re- D- the way that Deshaun Watson has been playing, it's shocking that they're not two and zero. Oh. In fact, it's not that shocking. This defense is incredible. But if if it wasn't for this Cleveland Browns defense, they would be zero and two, with the quickness. And if it wasn't for costly turnovers, yo, he threw a pick six the first play of the game. Now, you can say it hit the receiver's hands and it's the receiver's fault, but you can also say that Deshaun Watson threw it a little too far. Uh, Like I said, it's week two. So things can definitely change. And then, you know, in an entire football season. But right now, Deshaun Watson has not looked good at all. And he damn sure hasn't looked like the highest paid player in NFL history. And the reason why I say this season is currently over is because I'm going off of how Deshaun Watson has looked. And how Nick Chubb has looked. And how the greatness of Nick Chubb is able to kind of mask and shadow the ineptitude that we've seen from Deshaun Watson this season. Well, Nick Chubb is out. He is gone. So now there's more pressure. Now, yes, Jerome Ford looked really good. 16 carries for 106 yards. But it's on Deshaun Watson. More than it was before Nick Chubb got hurt, obviously. And until we start seeing Deshaun Watson look anything close to 
I'm not even I'm not even gonna put Houston. I'm not even gonna put that pressure on Deshaun Watson. If as as far as getting back to the Houston days, I'm not even gonna put that on him. What I'm going to put on him is until he starts looking like a good quarterback, because he has not. Until he starts looking like a good quarterback, this Cleveland Brown season is over with. Especially when you see how the Ravens are looking and how you know that at any given moment, any given game, the Cincinnati Bengals can flip that switch. And when you know, yes, I just talked about how bad the offense is for the Steelers. Well, their defense is still their defense. It's going to be a long season if we keep getting this this type of Deshaun Watson. And if this type of Deshaun Watson comes to play, they're going to lose majority of the time, especially when they play better offenses. So, I'm not saying that Mm. The next game I'm going to talk about is the Chargers and the Tennessee Titans. The Tennessee Titans beat the Chargers 27 to 24. Um I believe in overtime. Or no, um, maybe wasn't in overtime, but uh, what I do know is the Chargers lost to the Tennessee Titans 27 to 24. And the conversation coming out of this game is a conversation that we've been hearing for time and time again. It's just getting louder. And that is how hot the seat is for Brandon Staley and how and the conversation around Justin Herbert. Let me talk about Brian Staley first. No one questions if Brian Staley or Brandon, I'm sorry, Brandon Staley or is it Brian? It's Brian, right? Brandon Staley. I'm just, I'm definitely making sure. I apologize, my peoples. Uh, it's definitely Brandon, right? Yep. I apologize. Back to the regularly scheduled program. No one questions if Brandon Staley is a good coach. What they question is, can Brandon Staley finish in big moments? Or can Brandon Staley win those big moments? Can Brandon Staley coach up this team to win close games or to win the big moment games? Because you have... There's nobody that thinks that the Chargers don't have a talented team. The Chargers actually have one of the most talented teams in football. I understand Austin Eckler didn't play, but you I mean, your wide receiver core alone consists of Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Gerald Everett, who is a tight end. 
Your defense has Khalil Mack on it, has Joey Bosa, has J.C. Jackson, has Asante Samuel Jr., has Derwin James. You're, we're not questioning if this team is good, and we're honestly not questioning if Brandon Staley is a good coach. What we're questioning is can Brandon Staley win those games or can you be a good coach, you know, the last three, four minutes of a game, a close game. And time and time and time and time, an example after example after example after example has shown that he is unable to do so. Mind you, this Tennessee Titans team isn't the best. You have Ryan Tannehill, who was horrible just the week before. Yes, you have Derrick Henry. You have Traylon Brooks. Burks. You also have DeAndre Hopkins. But there's not there's not much good to this team. Or there's as a team wise, the Tennessee Titans aren't that good. So this should be a, a layup. There should be no reason why the Chargers are 0 and 2. But yet again, going back to I'm not even going to because people want to go back to, of course, last year in the playoffs where, you know, Trevor Lawrence threw four interceptions in the first half and the Chargers were up huge and then they ultimately lost. I'm going to go as far back as week one where Justin Herbert and this team was in a shootout with the Dolphins and ultimately lost because of poor decision making. In the last few minutes of the game. And poor play calling in the last few minutes of the game because of Brandon Staley. That seat is hot. Hot like disco inferno hot for Brandon Staley. Because I don't know how long or I don't know how you can have a team this good. And continuously first of all have a team that's good and be 0 and 2 and also have a team that's good and continuously I'm not saying they lose every time but they lose those close games I mean let's let's go back let's go back what two years ago when they were in the play or they were they had the game away to being in the playoffs against the Raiders and they lose And Derek Carr, where all they had to all he had to do was go for the tie. They couldn't even do that. If they would have went for the tie, or if they would have got the tie, both to end the the Raiders wanted to do the tie. They wanted to go for the tie, but the Chargers called timeout for some reason. Lost. They lost last year in the playoffs after thoroughly dominating a team the first half. The the Jaguars the first half. Brandon Staley's seat is a disco inferno hot. I promise you that. And I don't know what the Jets or no, the Chargers organization is as far as firing people uh, in the middle of the season, especially after two weeks. I arguably wouldn't do that. But this trend has has gone on longer than just this season. Or it has it didn't just start these first two games. There is a rap sheet of moments where Brandon Staley as a head coach has done has put his team 
in tough positions going forward on fourth down in your <laughs> going forward and fourth down in the in in the opposing team's territory like what are you doing like what what are we doing like i said the other the other narrative and the other conversation is centered around Justin or Justin Herbert and how Justin Herbert also is on the hot seat. Now, of course, he's not going to lose his job or anything, but Justin Herbert was one of the few, or let me say, of the many quarterback, young quarterbacks that got paid this summer. And as a talent, we know how good Justin Herbert is as a talent. As a talent, he is one of the best quarterbacks in football as a talent. But like I talk about a lot, man, you can sports is not played on paper. You can be the most talented person in the world. You know what? Let me give you an example. You know who was one of the most talented basketball players we've ever seen in the NBA? Just just sheer talent. Josh Smith. When we talk about athleticism, when we talk about um, defensive ability, when we talk about just build, when we just talk about you know what he can do offensively, what he's capable of doing defensively, shooting the ball at times, Josh Smith was one of the most talented players in the, the NBA has ever seen. Now, you're probably thinking, Josh Smith, excuse me, why are you thinking that? Because what did Josh Smith accomplish in the NBA? Nothing. Josh Smith was just another NBA guy that was forgotten once he left the league. You can say the same thing for Monte Ellis. One of the most talented players, skilled players we've ever seen. Did absolutely nothing in the league. You can say the same thing for someone like J.R. Smith if he never won a championship with LeBron James. What he did in Denver was incredible. What he did in New York was incredible. Nothing. I know he won six man of the year, but outside of that, nothing. What I'm saying, and let's let's bring it back to Justin Herbert. We need to start seeing not only in the same thing you can say about Deshaun Watson. We can we need to start seeing the return on that, the the, the return on that contract, and we need to start seeing Justin Field or Justin Herbert be put in that. Or, or put himself in that category. And when, when I say that category, I mean Justin Herbert has the talent to be in the Patrick Mahomes, Joe, Joe Burrow when he's Joe Burrow. He has the talent to be in that group. But it's almost blasphemous to put him in that group because he has accomplished nothing compared to what a Patrick Mahomes and even a Joe Burrow this early in his career has a hell even a Lamar Jackson 
He hasn't accomplished half the stuff that Lamar Jackson has accomplished. And people to this day think that Lamar Jackson can't even throw the ball. The, the, the conversation around this Chargers team is starting to get much, much louder or the, the questions are starting to, to be more glaring because you have to ask yourself, how is it that a coach can continue to be? No one thinks Brandon Staley is a bad coach. They just think he can't finish games and he puts his teams in bad situation time and time again. No one thinks Justin Herbert is a bad quarterback. It's just with a quarterback as talented as him, why does he have absolutely nothing to show for it? And why is it that as good as you are, you go, it is overtime because you go into overtime, the Chargers had the ball first and went, did nothing. Yeah, the Chargers had the ball first and did nothing with it. Three and out, I believe. And you have Justin Herbert. When you you can look at the stats, 27 for 41, 305 yards, two touchdowns. That looks good. But that right there is the Chargers in a nutshell. It looks good. The Chargers look like they should be the best team in football. They look like they should be that top echelon team. This team looks like they should be in contention for a Super Bowl. But in reality, this team is 0-2. This team has a head coach that continuously puts them in bad situations. And this team has a quarterback as great as he can be, still has those moments, more than we'd like to really talk about, that he comes up short against the... And I'm not here bad-mouthing the Titans. I don't think the Titans are going to be that good of a team, but they did what they were supposed to do against the Chargers. It's just, the final thing I'll say about the Chargers is this. They continue to lose the same way. Like, have a really, probably the better quarterback. When we talk about who would you pick right now, Justin Herbert or Tua Tagovailoa, most people would do Justin Herbert. But one of those teams is 0 and 2. One of those teams, or one of those quarterbacks is 0 and 2. One of those quarterbacks is 2 and 0. Until Brandon Staley starts winning these close games more regularly than he than he is, and until we start seeing the talent of Justin Herbert shine more and more. We're going to continue to question that contract that Justin Herbert just signed and ultimately this team. Because as great as the Chargers are, what are they really doing? Nothing. Speaking of doing nothing, the next game I want to talk about 
is the Washington in Broncos game. Shouts out to the Washington Commanders for not only being 0 and 2 or 2 and 0, I'm sorry, but for beating the Denver Broncos 35 to 33. We know about that fail or the Hail Mary that was um at the end of the game for Russell Wilson. Ultimately, first of all, you bat the ball down. I don't know why you're batting it up. But or I don't know why you're trying to catch it. You just bat the ball down. But I digress. Uh, the chart. The Broncos completed the the Hail Mary. They just didn't complete the um, <laughs> didn't complete the two point conversion. Some people would say that it was a pass pass interference. I would say, did they call it on the field? I don't know. I don't know. But. The conversation around this game is obviously centered around the Denver Broncos being 0-2. So before I get there, let me shout out the Washington Commanders. Sam Howell has looked incredible. Um, There are times where he, he does look like a younger quarterback, don't get me wrong. But, you know, 27 for 39, 299 yards, two touchdowns. Brandon Robinson, the running back position, has been incredible. Um, Tara McLaurin probably had the catch of the day. Well, no, Chris, Chris Olave probably had the catch of the day. But Terry McLaurin ha- had one of the best catches of the day. Um, the touchdown catch that he had. This team looks good, man. Now, yes, the, the, the problems that plagued them week one, the problem that's plagued them for a while is still there. Uh, the offensive line is not good. Sam Howell was running for his life a lot of times uh, this 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 game, um, and the secondary isn't the best. It kept <laughs> secondary kept allowing wide open receivers, um, but the the defensive front, bro. I'm happy that uh, Chase Young finally came back uh, from injury. And he looked incredible. Um, and of course, Drawn Payne, he was wrecking the entire game. Montez Sweat looked really good. Uh, Jonathan Allen looked really good. Cam- Cameron Curl, he looked okay until the end. Um, it 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 was a great, it was a good overall team win. Now the issues that still plague them are still plaguing the Washington Commanders, but I'm liking that Sam Howe, even though he doesn't, you know, he has his moments where he looks god awful. He's not letting those moments like stop him. He's not letting those moments get to him like a lot of young quarterbacks could. Um, and this defense, the 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 highlights of the Washington team are got them two wins. I I I'm not going to go as far as say that this is a championship team I'm not even going to go as far as say this is a playoff team because I need that offensive line to be much better and I definitely want to see more of uh of um Sam Howe I mean because you did beat you you were in a dog fight against Arizona and you did beat the Broncos we'll talk about in a second but shouts out to the Washington Commanders for beating the Broncos 35 to 33 now, I said going into this topic that the conversation for this game is centered around the Denver Broncos. And not in the sense that you would think. 
especially after last year. Going into the season and the Denver Broncos being 0-2, what do you think the conversation or the reasoning would be that this team is 0-2? You'd probably say because of Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson was horrible last year, and you'd think that of a team that had a horrible quarterback last year is 0-2, you would think it's probably because of the quarterback, correct? And rightfully so, bro, You, that's what I thought it would be. I thought that if the Denver Broncos were going to start off slow or were going to start off bad, it's because Russell Wilson is truly gone. And the Russell Wilson that we're used to in Seattle, outside of the last year in Seattle, is just no more. I do think that's the case, at least the latter part, saying that I don't think that I think Russell Wilson, I don't think he should be considered a top tier quarterback anymore. Um, I don't think he should be considered a bottom tier quarterback either. But and I will I do I will say that shockingly, the Denver Broncos have one of the best offenses and Russell Wilson has been one of the best offensive players in football this year. I know again, I understand it's two seasons or two two games. But he hasn't been he's been one of the best def- or offensive players in the league. But I thought going into the season, if they were to struggle, it was going to be because of him and his offense stutter sputtered. That has not been the case at all. In fact, it's been the complete opposite. Russell Wilson has been very good this year. No, he's not in you know, uh Legion of Boom going to the Super Bowl. Russell Wilson, nah. But Russell Wilson has been light years better than he was last year the issue with this team has been their defense the Denver Broncos they can't stop a nosebleed and this is the same defense that has uh Patrick Sertan the second and that has Justin Simmons and that has uh Damaris uh Matt like this team has Randy Gregory it can't get a stop. We saw that against the Raiders, and we saw that on Sunday against Washington. And if it wasn't for a hell, yo, this team was up, I think, 21 to 7 or 21 to 3, I think, and lost 35 to 33. And honestly, they only got that touchdown because of a Hail Mary at the end. So the, the, the schedule, the, it would have been worse. I'm not saying that Sean Payton's tenured has has looked bad because, again, it's only two games. But he did start the first game on sidekick. But what I will say is the issues that the Denver Broncos are dealing with right now, you never would have thought they would be dealing with with the personnel that they have. And the issues that they thought they would be having, i.e. Russell Wilson playing bad, they're not having. Because Russell Wilson has been one of the best offensive players in football, surprisingly, if you look at the stats. I mean, he threw for 308 yards, three touchdowns. I know he had one interception, but I'm not, and I'm not saying 
that uh, I'm not saying that all you know. There's a bunch of 0 and two teams. Again, we talked about the Chargers. We talked about the Broncos. Talked about the Bears. You know, uh, the the Bengals. We'll talk about in a second. There's a bunch of 0 and two teams, and I'm not saying that the season's over. But what I'm saying is, it's it's very tough to start your season behind the eight ball, pretty much. And that's what you're doing, putting yourself in 0-2 hole. And on top of that, your defense is supposed to be your calling card has been bad, to say the least. So we'll see. I don't need to talk about this game for long. Um, Shouts out to the Baltimore Ravens for beating the Cincinnati Bengals 27-24. to uh, Lamar Jackson looked really good, 24 for 33, 270 or 237 yards. Um, we know what the Ravens are. They're a smash mouth team. Uh, Gus Edwards had 10 carries for 62 yards. Lamar Jackson carried the ball 12 times for 54 yards. If I were them, because of how they play, I would probably try to give Jonathan, Jonathan Taylor a call and see if you can try to make that trade. But... Uh, Nelson Aguilar was really good. Five receptions for 63 yards and a touchdown. Zay Flowers, 62 yards. Uh, Mark Andrews, 45 yards and a touchdown. Odell Beckham did go down with an ankle injury, uh, but he's, they said it's not that serious. This Baltimore Ravens team is good, man. It's just I need. I, I feel like I hope that this is the early, just as the early stages, because there are times when the offense sputters mid, mid-game. mid um, The defense may come up short up sometimes, you know. But this Ravens team does look good, and the offense looks much better uh, under the new offensive coordinator than it, it, it had with, you know, Roman. It's It's been good. And... There are times when it doesn't look good, but ultimately they're own or they're two and zero. And for the Cincinnati Bengals, I think a lot of it is just Joe Joe Burrow's not ready. Joe Burrow, he hurt his he hurt his calf, he hurt his hamstring in in training camp, missed the entire training camp, missed the entire preseason, and and he did just reactivate it. That's that's going to cause a lot of issues for this team. Um, defensively, they've been okay, but they haven't been groundbreaking, and the offensive line hasn't been the greatest either. Now, most of it is because of Joe Burrow, but Joe Burrow again hasn't didn't do anything all training camp or preseason, so it's kind of hard for me to expect much from him. Uh, so I think that moving forward, I think maybe I'm not gonna say miss a game, but he. You need to – the last thing you want to do, especially as a quarterback position, at the quarterback position, is play with a hamstring injury. That's that's just not going to work, like, at all. Because you need your you need your lower extremity, you need your body to, to throw the ball. Like, you know, um, they – they the, the wide receiver <laughs> – Jamar Chase hasn't really been good. Uh, he went five receptions for 31 yards. T. Higgins, eight receptions for 89 yards, two touchdowns. Tyler Boyd, six, 53 or 52 yards. It, it, it just hasn't been special. 
and a lot of that is because of Joe Burrow's injury. Like I said, I'm not saying – I think Joe Burrow obviously can turn around. I do think that he needs his hamstring to heal. The problem with hamstrings is when it goes, it goes. We've seen that with basketball players. Uh, so I would just try to rest it as much as possible if you can. Um, but, yeah, man, shouts out to the Ravens for beating the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, and I know – the Ravens is my Super Bowl pick, and they're looking really good right now. I don't know how they'll fare against maybe some of the top, top teams right now, but, again, it's only week two, so we'll see. <sighs> Let's move forward. Uh, another game. Don't got to talk much about the – no, that's a lie. Uh, the The Bills beat the Raiders 38-10, to 10, and – this is this game is a prime example why it's hard to put your faith and it's hard to trust Josh Allen. I'm not saying that in the in a bad way. I'm also not saying that in a good way. Josh Allen 31 to 37, 274 yards, uh three touchdowns. He also carried the ball three times for 7 yards. Yo, he jumped right in. <laughs> he was about 5 yards away from the end zone. And like jumped, thinking, I don't know what you're doing, bro. You jumped right into the arms of the defender and got just pummeled. And the reason why it's hard for me to trust Josh Allen is because of games like this. This was an incredible game. You you only missed six passes, three touchdowns, and he didn't overly rely on Stephon Diggs. Stephon Diggs only had seven seven carries or seven catches for sixty six yards. Gabe Davis had 92 yards. Uh, Dalton Kincaid had 43 yards. James Cook had 36 yards receiving. The thing is, can can you keep this up? Can this, can this, when Josh Allen is playing at his best, he is one of the best quarterbacks in football. That is not a question. But as you saw, when you jump, when you jump five yards from the, from the end zone and you, this, and you get tackled, like, what are you doing, bro? Like, you, we're going to talk about this a little bit with uh, with Anthony Richardson again. You need, your best ability is availability. And if you keep doing reckless stuff like that, you see how good he can be. It's like, dude, come on, bro. Get it together. And you beat a Raiders team that doesn't have much going for it outside of it has some names. Like, it has... Jimmy Garoppolo who couldn't throw over 200 yards and you have Devontae Adams who should be, I know he got hurt, but he should be okay. He had a touchdown, but outside of that, Oh, and, and Mason Crosby, but that's it. So yeah, man, it's, it's hard for me to really trust this Buffalo bills team because your quarterback is as erratic and as reckless as Josh Allen can be. I understand that is how he plays, but that hasn't really resulted in winning as much as you want it to. So, you know, but, but at his best, Josh Allen is still great, which is why it's kind of like a, you know, it's kind of hard to put your faith in is all I'm saying. There's two, there's, there, there's two things that you can take out of this New York giants and Arizona Cardinals game. Shouts out to the Giants for beating the Cardinals 31 to 28. But there's two things you can take from this team. You can take 
the high approach. You can take the good approach and saying that Daniel Jones looked incredibly awful the first half and then came back in through what or recorded three touchdowns, I think. He was incredible. Uh, ended the game 321 yards, two touchdowns. Saquon Parkley did get hurt. He had an ankle sprain, but he finished with 63 yards, 17 carries, and one touchdown. And they ultimately came back and won. Uh, they were down huge. And they were down, I think, at least 20 points. And they came back and won 31 to 28. Like, it was they, it was great. Shouts out to the Giants getting their first win. And at least the second half of the game resembling the Giants that went to the playoffs last year. And won a playoff game. But the other... The other conclusion that you can come to is bad teams find a way to lose more times than good teams obviously (laughs) understand that you can you always have any given Sunday any given night any team could win but for bad teams they continuously find a way to lose this is the second week in a row that the Arizona Cardinals were the was the best team on the field until the second half. They were the best team on the field against Washington until the second half, and they were the best team on the field against the Giants until the second half. Now I understand that Kyler Murray is not playing, and you have Joshua Dobbs. But you're up big against the Giants, and you can't close that. You can't. You can't close. You're up big against Washington, and you can't close. This is just yet another another example of a bad team being bad. Bad teams find a way to lose. They find a way to lose. You see it more in college football, but in the NFL, yeah, bad teams find a way to lose all the time. Perfect example, the Arizona Cardinals that could be 2-0 right now. But because they find a way to lose every time, they're 0-2. Now, again, you can say, Joshua Dobbs is our quarterback. Yeah, but again, you were up damn near 20 points, if not 20 points in the first half. Completely shutting out this team, this Giants team, playing great defense. The Giants looked horrible. And then <laughs> Daniel Jones turned into Patrick Holmes. Daniel Jones turned into playoff Eli Manning, and then it was over with. Shouts out to the Giants for beating the the uh, Cardinals thirty one to twenty eight. I do want to give a shout out and talk about Bijan Robinson and this Atlanta Falcons team for beating the. Or shouts out to the Atlanta Falcons for beating the Green Bay Packers 25-24. to Bijan Robinson for sure was the MVP of this game. Uh, 19 carries for 124 yards. I know Desmond Ritter, he had went 19 for 32, uh, 237 yards. But, you know, momentum play after momentum play, it was Bijan Robinson that 
looked very much like the the player that a lot of people, I think including myself, thinks is going to win the Offensive Rookie of the Year. He looks like a seasoned vet right out the gate, and I think that is that's indicative of what he's done. Even though they, yeah, they're two and zero, what he's done these first two weeks. Um, Desmond Ritter looks really good. He doesn't have to do much, and that's the beauty of it because you have a Dijon Robinson. He doesn't have to do much. Uh, yo, Kyle Pitts only had two receptions for 17 yards. Jesus. But um, shouts out to this team, man. And for the Packers, I'm not going to put this one mostly on. I'm, I'm not going to put this on Jordan Love. He didn't play the best. He only had 151 yards, but he did have three touchdowns. I'm going to put this mainly on the defense. The defense this game was horrible. It was putrid. Uh, there was multiple times when Drake London got the best of Zaire Alexander. Um, it just wasn't. It just the defense really let this let the Green Bay Packers down this game. Uh, but shouts out to B. John Robinson for being the best player on the field, and shouts out to the Atlanta Falcons for being the Green Bay Packers. Um, also. In, in the kind of the same light about the Josh Allen thing, the Indianapolis Colts beat the Texans thirty-one to twenty. Uh, let me tell you, bro, Anthony Richardson looked incredible. Just the small—I mean, he didn't play much because he got hurt yet again and went into concussion protocol yet again. But he finished with only fifty-six passing yards 33 rushing yards and two touchdowns he he looked like he was gonna have himself a day until he got hurt um and Gardner Minshew came in and had uh, seven 171 yards two touchdowns Zach Moss 88 yards or 88 rushing yards for a touchdown they were good but like I continue like I said last week and I'm probably going to continue to say throughout his career Anthony Richardson needs to stay, needs to, and Trevor Lawrence even said it, bro. You have to protect yourself. At the end of the day, if you do not protect yourself, you will get your head, you'd get up out of here. Like, that's what, and we'll talk about, um, we'll talk about Bryce Young in a second. I think that the, the, one of the biggest learning curves for rookies in general is, understanding how fast your opponent is especially offensive offensive quarterbacks man offensive quarterbacks (laughs) especially quarterbacks it's I think it's a it's it's a steep learning curve to understand that yo some most of these defensive players are the fastest players on the field outside of maybe the running backs or the wide receivers these defensive backs these cornerbacks are fast and when you were Anthony Richardson, a star stud at Florida, Florida, you probably were the fastest player on the field most times. That's not the case in the NFL. You obviously were probably the best player on the best player in general on the field. That's not the case in the NFL. And I think that's why I think Anthony Richardson really needs to protect himself more because. I'm not trying to take away one of his powers, which is, of course, is using his legs, but I just don't want him to shorten his career because he doesn't have a, or he's not mindful of 
how good these players can be. You know what I'm saying? So and how fast and how hard they can hit. Uh, but shouts out to the Colts for being the Texans, man. C.J. Stroud, he was okay, but again, it's gonna take a while. He he threw for 384 yards. It's gonna take a while for these young quarterbacks. And and usually, when you're a young quarterback drafted high, you're usually drafted on a bad team. So I don't see much winning in their future. But they C.J. Stroud looked good. Anthony Richardson looked good until he got hurt. Shouts out to them. Also, want to congratulations. Well, the Seattle Seahawks beat the Lions thirty-seven to thirty-one. Yo, <laughs> Geno Smith, bro. They were starting. I told you last episode, man. They were starting to write the was last year a fluke columns for Geno Smith. He looked last or last week. He looked horrible, and he looked more like he's done majority of his career, um, and. I understand why people would question, well, was last year a thing or, or was it just a, an anomaly or, you know, but on Sunday, he he looked great. Now, there were times where he had some head scratching like, Dope, what are you doing, Gino? But through for 328 yards, two touchdowns, he looked really good. And he was the main reason why this Seattle team won. Um, so shouts out to Seattle. Uh, for beating the Lions 37 to 31. Turn up for you. Oh boy. Um I'm I don't want to push the panic button because again it's only two weeks in. And you've only played one game with Travis Kelsey, obviously. But I'm starting to get close for my finger touching the panic button for the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, I know you're going to say, but wait, the Kansas City Chiefs did just beat the Jaguars 17-9. to But this is yet another game where the issues for the Kansas City Chiefs rare as ugly head again. Now, it didn't cost them because there were multiple times where the Jaguars were in scoring position and ultimately didn't punch it in. And there was multiple times where their wide receivers were wide open and, and had nothing but grass and opportunity in front of them, and they dropped the ball. But the the issues that plagued them week one reared its ugly head again for the Chiefs, and that was they don't really have a number one or two receiver or number two receiver. And when I say number two receiver, their number one obviously is not a receiver. It is uh, Travis Kelsey. But Sky Moore had an okay game. He had three receptions for 70 yards. Justin Watson had 62 yards. Kendarius Tony had 35. Noah Gray had, what, 38. They don't have a reliable wide receiver core. They have a bunch of names outside of Travis Kelsey. And I thought that that was going to, that was going to doom them or that, that doomed them week one and is dooming them or it, it almost was their downfall week two and their offensive line. Now the Kansas City Chiefs spent the most money in the NFL, I believe, on the offensive line this offseason. They gave their tackle like like seventy million, I believe, and they benched him. 
and their offensive line has been horrible. I'm not going to say their entire offensive line. Their tackles, right and left tackle, has been horrible. It, it, boy, let me tell you. They, they, it, when you spend that much money, you expect more of a return. And they have not done that at all. It's been pretty bad for them. Now, as great as Patrick Mahomes can be, even with all that, he still threw 305 yards, two touchdowns. And Travis Kelsey, he did come out slow, but he did have a touchdown. The reason why I think the reason why I don't think this team is going to win a Super Bowl again or this year or and not even make it to the AFC Championship is because of the issues that we saw these first two weeks. Now again, things can change. It's only week two, but their wide receiver core, I don't know how that's going to do much changing. They can get better over time, but and maybe Sky Moore can turn into who they think he's going to turn into. But again, man, uh, it's going to be tough. And the, and the, the the craziest part about it is the weakness that has been a weakness for the Kansas City Chiefs for a while has been their defense. Their defense is their strongest point, especially with Chris Jones coming back. Now, yes, Patrick Mahomes is still their best player. Travis Kelsey is still probably their second or third best player. But their defense is incredible. The Kansas City Chiefs defense is their best unit. And uh, it that's the <laughs> – we're not used to seeing now, – now, yes, Patrick Mahomes has had the luxury of having – a dominant receiving well a dominant receiver and i'm going to include travis kelsey uh last year you had tyreek hill but now it's just a lot of question marks in that core and until those question marks are getting answered i have my doubts about this team and the same thing and especially their their offensive line especially the tackles they benched the player that they gave the most money to this offseason I will say shout out to them for restructuring uh, Patrick Mahomes' deal, and now he's like the highest paid player. Because I mean, obviously he should be. He's, he's Patrick Mahomes, bro. Why would you not like? What are we talking about here? But uh, yeah, man. Uh, yeah, it's it's the Jacksonville Jaguars had every what was in prime position to win this game if it wasn't for some key key drops uh from their from their receiving core i mean christian kirk had 110 yards dropped three passes uh calvin ridley was targeted eight times only caught two of them you know so zay jones was targeted six times and dropped two touchdowns so, congratulations to the Chiefs. Uh, moving forward, San Francisco beat the Rams thirty to twenty-three. Uh, I you can kind of go back and forth between who is the best team, uh, who you feel is the best team these two weeks in. To me, it's between the Cowboys and the Forty Niners. The biggest reason why I'll give the Cowboys the nod right now is because of how 
pedestrian, I'll say, this 49ers team looked on defense uh, in week two. Now you are playing against a veteran quarterback of Matthew Stafford, but, I mean, you had Puka Nakua, shouts out to you, I think broke a rookie record for or has the most or first rookie to have back-to-back 100 yards, 15 catch games. Uh, he called you. He went for 147 yards, 2-2 at well, 77. Um, this this team, you know, it no no sacks. Oh, one sack. Yeah. Um, I think that right now the best two teams in the in the NFC right now are the 49ers and and the Cowboys and. Sunday didn't really prove much to me. I mean, Christian McCaffrey ran for twenty, ran twenty times and one hundred and sixteen yards. He was he was incredible. Uh, Debo has sixty three yards in the air, thirty eight on the on the ground. This team is good, um, and this team is going to be tough, especially when you have Christian McCaffrey uh, running that much. Now, I do think that you want to try to even out that offensive. Uh, Offensive output, meaning you don't really want Christian McCaffrey running 20 times, especially when you have the weapons that you have on this team. This is much different from the Jets because Brock Purdy can actually throw the ball, um, unlike Zach Wilson. So you don't really, I don't really think you'd want Christian McCaffrey running 20 times, especially against this Rams defense. But he did, and he was incredible. I just don't know if you want to make it a thing, especially when you have. You know, Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle and Debo Samuels on the outside. So, but hey, it, it, it won them the game. So, shouts out to the 49ers. Miami looked incredible. Yet again, actually, they didn't look incredible. Uh, they, they definitely probably should have lost this game. If it wasn't, the refs, let me say this. The refs weren't that good this this weekend. I'm just I'll just be light about it. Uh, they definitely missed some tough calls. Like I don't know how you can call back that uh f- that fourth down play against the the or with the Patriots. I don't know how you can call that short. It definitely looked like it was in like kind of clear as day. Uh, they missed a pass interference for Washington, possibly. They missed a pass interference for the rate uh, for the. For the Saints game, which we'll talk about in a second, um, I don't, I don't know. But at the end of the day, it is what it is. You shouldn't allow it to get to that point. The Dolphins beat the Patriots twenty-four to seventeen. Tua threw for four, two hundred and ninety or two hundred and forty-nine yards. Raheem Morster went went ran for one hundred and twenty-one yards. Uh, Tyreek Hill had 40 yards. Jalen Waddle had eight or 86. I'm sorry. This Dolphins team is going to be tough, man. This is obviously one of those teams that are 2-0. and And this Dolphins team, when, when they're playing like this, or of course this, is, was, this wasn't as good and as prolific as week one, obviously. But when they're firing on all cylinders, when they have Jalen Waddle doing Jalen Waddle things, when they have Tyreek Hill doing Tyreek Hill things, and you have Tua getting in the ball, uh, making smart, quick decisions, this Dolphins team is going to be tough. And I also will say, and this is yet another week, where Mac, I, I'm starting to, I don't think Mac Jones is an elite quarterback. I don't think that at all. But I'm starting to see that 
Mac Jones is in desperate need of a number one receiver. He is in desperate. He's kind of in that same realm that you can you put a. Let me see. He's in that same realm that we've put Josh Allen in before he got Stephon Diggs or, you know, or Jimmy Garoppolo with now Devontae Adams or um, Patrick Mahomes with Tyreek Hill. I just think Mac Jones needs that number one receiver. He does not have his number one. His best receiver right now is Devontae Parker. And while Devontae Parker is cool, don't get me wrong, he's not a number one receiver. If you give if you give Mac Jones a DeAndre Hopkins, if you give Mac Jones one of those top elite quarterback or wide receivers, I think that'll not only open his game up, I think it'll open up the the offense for the Patriots. Like it, it I there this team is such is so strapped for it's so strapped because of the lack of explosive talent on this offense. Um, the defense is still good, and I think that Mac Jones to to throw the ball forty two times and not have a number one receiver that should tell you a lot about this offense. This offense is not going anywhere without having a number one receiver. That's how. That's why receivers are so important. Like. Imagine if you go out and get a T. Higgins. That's that could that's a potential number one receiver. If imagine if you go out and get someone like I don't know, someone like a Terry McLaurin. That's a number one receiver. Or like a D if 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 Mac Jones had a DK Metcalf, if Mac Jones had a Jamar Chase, if Mac Jones had a a, a Tyreek Hill, things would be much different, but he doesn't. And they to me, the 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 Patriots had every every opportunity to win this game. It's just you just don't have that explosiveness on explosiveness on the outside, especially when the Dolphins are having a bad game or a down game. So, shouts out to the Dolphins, but I just think Mac Jones is good enough, or is I don't think he's an elite quarterback, but I think that he has the opportunity to go up to that elite quarterback status if he just had a number one receiver, which he doesn't have. And I think that until then, this Patriots team will always be, you know, one step behind. And Mac Jones, especially his progression, will always be one step behind because you don't have that relationship with a top-tier receiver. So on the last game I'm going to talk about, obviously, was the one that the other uh, game we saw Monday Night Football and that was the Saints beating the Panthers 20 to 17. This was a tough game to watch, bro. I mean, I'll be real with you, bro. This was not this was not a good game. Um mm. Yo, I, the, the more and more I'm watching, man, I like the Saints because of the weapons that Derek Carr has. Like I like the Saints. The problem and issue with the Saints is, bruh, there's to, I, I get how good the Panthers' defense is, but, yo, the Saints' offense looks – it has moments of the big boom moment, big boom, or let me say it like this. They have those moments where they're just, like, 
flat, like boom, boom, boom. When you had uh, Shahid, when you have Chris Olave, when you have Mike Tomlins, like they can they can hit you with big play after big play. But then if they're not hitting those big plays, now I am interested to see what happens when Alvin Kamara gets back. But this offense just looks it just looks man. It was hard to watch. Now you might be able to credit that to, of course, um, credit that to uh, the defense of the Panthers, but I don't know. Derek Carr threw for two twenty-eight, no touchdowns, one interception. It just did. It just didn't look good. Um, this this one this game was won mainly because of their defense blinks being so good, and because you're playing against a rookie quarterback who, like I said earlier into the show, early in the show, it's going to be tough for rookie quarterbacks because they, ha- they have a tough time seeing the field. And if they can see the field much better, then they, you know, it's going to take time. And Bryce Young has to realize, yo, like he has to see the field much better. And I think Bryce Young, that's another team that, I don't know what the hell happened with DJ Chalk, but they... Adam Adam Thielen at this point of his career to me isn't really a number one receiver. I think there was a couple years in Minnesota where he was that, but I just don't think Adam Thielen is is that anymore. Um, and I think that kind of like Mac Jones, Bryce Young would benefit greatly from a number one receiver. I don't think he has that in in uh what Jonathan Mingo or. Or Adam Thielen, or Hayden Hurst is a tight end, or or DJ Chaw. I just, I don't know. I just, I just don't. I think that's another team, the Panthers, that would benefit from a number one receiver. But their defense is really good. Uh, yeah, that was that was probably one of the uglier games. <laughs> that was one of the uglier games of the week, man. Uh, it was that was tough to watch. Um, but shout out to the Saints for beating the the Panthers. Um, tomorrow you have Thursday night football. I believe it's the Giants and the 49ers. I'm just leave that where it is. Uh, let's go over to college, college for a second. Um, we're done with the NFL. Those were, that was week two breakdown. Shouts out to Chris Olave for having probably the catch of the week. Uh, that's why I put it right there. Um, shouts out to him and yeah, uh, shouts out to you guys for staying with that. <laughs> of course, talking about college football, I have to talk about Colorado beating Colorado state. Um, they beat them in double overtime. Colorado is now three and zero. they beat them 43 to 35. This is a rivalry game. And you know that teams get up for rivalry games. And that's why those those are honestly some of the hardest games to predict in both college and in the NFL. Because and I, pretty much in any sport, because rivalry games, everyone's up for that. Like it's it's almost a pick 'em game. It doesn't matter who it is. It can be Alabama and Auburn and Alabama, which we'll talk about in a second, Alabama can be having the best season they've ever had. But, you know, it it doesn't matter because it's a rivalry game. So Colorado State came in, bro. Shouts out to Braden uh, Follier Nicholson. I'm sure I said your name wrong, bro. The quarterback, 
He and Tory Tory Horton was by far the best players on the field majority of the year or not year majority of the game. Uh, Braden had. 367 yards, three touchdowns. He did throw three interceptions. Uh, and Torrey Holden had 133 yards. And Lewis Brown had 131. Like, they were just throwing the ball all over the place. And it seemed like until the end of the game, Colorado could not stop Colorado State. Like, it was just – they now, yes, they, he did do three uh, Braden did throw three interceptions, but it just anything they wanted or any time they needed a big play, they got it. Uh, it was it was a uh, it was crazy. Even Tor- Tory Holden threw a thirty yard touchdown, like the wide receiver. Um, I I will address the the cheap cheap shot that Colorado State player I forgot his name. He uh, did a cheap hit on Travis Hunter. Definitely dirty. Definitely had malice intent. Uh, Trevor's Trevor Tra- Travis Hunter. I'm sorry. Ultimately left the game. He was going to keep playing, but the doctor or the team doctor advised him not to. Went to the hospital. Turns out he has a lacerated liver. Um, he'll be out for three weeks. That was a dirty play. And I understand that college and how you discipline players is much different than the NFL. NFL. You know, if, if that hit what happened in the NFL, nine times out of ten, homies getting suspended for a game or two. I think he deserves to be suspended. There's no room for a play like that. There's no room. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, I understand it's a gladiator sport, and I understand that it's a collision sport that, that is football. But even knowing that, you want – you and even knowing it's a rivalry, even understanding, you know, back both both sides were, were chirping – majority of the of the week and even before the game and you obviously want to beat your opponent but you don't want to you don't want to hurt anybody you know and that's obviously what homie wanted to do with Travis Hunter and I do think that Travis Hunter is one of their most if not the most important player for Colorado uh, outside of of course Shador Sanders so I think that homie again I don't remember his name I'm not even going to look for his name I think he should be suspended because, um, again, it was a dirty hit. And not only was it dirty, was it such a dirty hit, but it ultimately resulted in a player getting hurt and now out for weeks with a lacerated kidney. And the way that he hit Travis Hunter, he could have done much, much worse. It was a blindside, cheap, dirty hit. So, and for the people that saying, what if it was Travis Hunter – if, if, if the roles were reversed, yes, we understand the difference between, uh, you know, a, a Caucasian player and a black player. We understand that. We understand the how the rhetoric changes between a black player and a white player. We also understand that how the rhetoric changes between a player that has more to, to lose and, and, a, and a player that has more hype compared to a player that doesn't. Like, there... We, but we're who cares at this point? At this point, Travis Hunter is out three weeks because of a dirty hit from a player. And to me, that player should be out of here. Uh, I'm not saying kick him off the team. I'm not saying, but I do think that he should at least be suspended. 
uh, for for at least a game or two. That's just me. When we talk about Heisman winners and we talk about what does it take to win a Heisman, every Heisman winner, every single one, has a Heisman moment. And what is a Heisman moment? A Heisman moment is a moment in the season where you demonstrated that you were the best player and you were the reason why your team won or that play could not have been made from anyone else but you. That is what you consider a Heisman moment. Every single Heisman player has it. I'm not saying that Shador Sanders is going to win the Heisman. I still think Caleb Caleb Williams is still a good pick. Uh, maybe Michael Penix. Um, but I do think that if Shador Sanders does win the Heisman, they will look back at this game and especially the end of the game and how overtime or the both overtimes went. That was Shador Sanders' moment. He had to go, I think, 90 plus, 98 plus, or 90, 95 yards in like, <laughs> in like a minute. And big play after big play after after poised play. And that's a, that was the beauty of watching that game, how poised Shador Sanders looked. He looked like the most poised player on the field. Again, I'm not saying that he won the Heisman after beating Colorado State. But if he does ultimately win the Heisman, this will be considered a Heisman moment. Uh, the big play, the big, the, the, the game time touchdown was he the, the throw that he made in going forward on fourth down and and the incredible the two time the two touchdown passes in overtime to the tight end. All the they won this game because of Shador Sanders. And this is also the same Shador Sanders that did not yo, this the off the Colorado offense was horrible the first in fact, yeah, the Colorado offense was horrible the first half. If it wasn't for, um, is it Shiloh? If it, if it wasn't for uh, Shiloh Sanders, yeah, Shiloh Sanders, this they would have lost. Because they had, what's his name, bro? It's uh, Kamara. Muhammad Kamara was wreaking havoc. Muhammad Kamara of Colorado State was wreaking havoc on the Colorado offensive line. Shador Sanders got nothing. Like it was looking bad, Colorado. I did. There was a time, especially when I think Colorado State went up. I think ten. I see it as over. But again, those Heisman moments. Every core, every person that wins a Heisman has those moments. And you can. I think we can. We will be able to look back and think if Shador Sanders won the Heisman. They'll look at this Colorado State game, especially, you know, with one minute left. I know they're down a touchdown. This was the moment. And shouts out to Colorado. I'm, shouts out for, for beating Colorado State 30, uh, 43 to 35. I'm interested to seeing what these next three weeks look like. Because you go, you play Oregon, who has a really good defense. And one of the most prolific offenses in college football. Then you go and play USC, 
obviously the winner. And then the third week isn't, or the third game isn't that tough, but I do want to see what you look like. Also, not having Travis Travis Hunter, I want to see what you look like, especially the defense. He plays both sides of the ball, which is incredibly important for this team. I want to see what they look like when they. I understand you can say TCU. TCU was a big, was a huge win. I'm not taking anything from that, but we're talking about two much better teams, at least this year, in Oregon and USC. So I want to see what they look like. And I'm, I don't, especially after seeing. Now, I told you it was a rivalry game, so you never know. But especially how they looked against Colorado State. I don't know. I, I know that Oregon, you know, going into this game, Oregon is a heavy favorite. I think that Oregon's going to win. I also think USC's going to win. But I am interested to see what Shador Sanders and this Colorado team looks like against competition that's a little more better than what they played. And I, and I, I know you can look at TCU, but TCU lost a lot to the draft and just graduated last year. So we'll see. But shout out. Another thing we want to talk about in college football is what the hell is going on in Alabama. We've seen Alabama struggle before. We've seen Alabama struggle, especially at the at the quarterback position. Alabama, for the longest, was not known to breed great quarterbacks. Now, I understand you can look at Jalen Hurts, you can look at Tua Tagovailoa, you can look at Matt Jones is like, bro, what are you talking about? But before then, you know, the AJ McCarron is the teacher. Like they didn't, they didn't bowl, they didn't have the, the greatest run of, of of quarterbacks. The thing that they had though was they always had a remarkable defense. They always had a <laughs> a running back or wide receiver. And Whatever shortcomings they had at the quarterback position was it was fine. Because again, you have a Derrick Henry or Derrick Henry, you have a Mark Ingram, you have a Devontae Smith, you have a um, Julio Jones. Like you you have a Will Anderson Jr. Like you, your defense or there was a position that you had TJ Yeldon that it does, Trent Richardson. It does not matter what the quarterback is doing because you have a Hall of Fame talent, or not Hall of Fame, you have a NFL type talent somewhere else, or multiple positions currently on your team. And you had Nick Saban as the head coach. And Nick Saban has been, if, is, if well, Nick Saban is kind of un, inarguably at this point, the greatest college football coach of all time. So, not having a quarterback, but you also have an NFL-type defense or an NFL-type receiving core or running back core, it didn't really matter what the, what, the, what the quarterback was doing. Now, you pair that with the Jalen Hurts, you pair that with the Tua Tagovailoa, you pair that with the Mac Jones, then it's like, all right, <laughs> like, goddamn, you know what I'm saying? This is different. You can look at Alabama ultimately winning but struggling mightily against South Florida and obviously a week ago losing to Texas. And you look at how 
you look at this quarterback room. You have Jalen uh, Milrow, who started against Texas. You have Ty Simpson, and you have Tyler Bushner. I think Tyler came from Notre Dame. The reason why this is such a thing, such a story, and such a a crazy thing to, to, to witness is because we're not used to seeing Alabama look like this. Now, yes, they've had quarterback situations, but this is the first time that I can remember that Alabama doesn't have a team that can overshadow weak or below average quarterback play. Now, no, I'm not saying that, you know, the, the NFL quarterbacks that came from Alabama are below average. But what I'm saying is, those years when you had the A.J. McCarron, you also had uh, incredible units. They don't have that now. And I think one of the worst things that Nick Saban could have done is bench Jalen Milrow after playing bad against against Texas because I guess he made his mistakes but he's also proven that he should be starting Tyler Bushner was god awful against Florida or South Florida and so was Ty Simpson now, they ultimately won because South Florida is South Florida but if they would have played a better team like if they would have played a, possibly a Florida maybe a Auburn maybe a
team not being that good is going to ultimately cost them not just a spot, or not just a college football championship, but a spot in the playoffs. And honestly, I don't, they have a tough, I mean, I, I don't, I see them losing at least one or two more times. And a, a three loss Nick Saban team is unheard of. But hey, that's how bad this quarterback will. And not just that, because Jalen Milrow isn't terrible, but it's been handled horribly. So we'll see how the, what we're going to place with that, or what comes out of that. The last topic of the day is the unpopular topic of the week, and the unpopular topic of the week. I want to talk to Damian Lillard for a second. You know, I had to sneak in a basketball. Uh, <laughs> a basketball topic. Um, there was a Nick Saban or Nick Saban, Jesus. Um, Damian Lillard was on a was was doing a, a string of interviews, and the question. So I don't remember. I think it was. Uh, I don't remember who it was. So I apologize to you, but I know that he was on. And one of the podcasts asked him, would you join Golden State? And he said he would He would never join Golden State. He doesn't want to win that way. He will lose for the rest of his career before winning with Golden State. And the unpopular topic of the day is ultimately about winning. You see... It's always the how that people have a problem with. That's one of the biggest... No, nobody questions the player. They question the how. The how is what is what divides fans, is what divides players. It's always the how. There's not a person on this earth that watches basketball that would question how good Kevin Durant is as a player. People know how good Kevin Durant is as an offensive talent. People understand that Kevin Durant is one of the greatest offensive talents we've ever seen in the NBA. But it's the how. People hate how he won his only two championships. And that, of course, is going from OKC to Golden State after Golden State offense.
just being an offensive savant, you don't, you can't go much, you can't, you can't build that big of a list without having Damian Lillard. You can argue that Damian Lillard is is arguably a top ten point guard to ever play in. But what Damian Lillard is speaking to is the how. How is it? I pulled up Damian Lillard's stats. Since 2012, he was drafted. Damian Lillard has averaged 19 points, 21 points, 21 points, 25, 27, 28. 26, 30, 29, 24, and 32 points. Damian Lillard has been out the first round, I think, been out the first round, I think once in his career. Maybe twice. For sure once. Damian Lillard has been to the conference finals once, I believe, and they got swept. Better said, Damian Lillard has never beaten Steph Curry in the playoffs. You see, we're so, we're so, Damian Lillard, I feel, is so hung up on the how and not hung up on the reality. Why does, why does Damian Lillard want to go to Miami? Damian wants to go to Miami so that he can have a better opportunity to win. But because that how seems better than the Golden State how, that how, Miami's how is okay. How did you win? Because I went to Miami. I tried as hard as I could to win a championship in Portland. And then once I saw that their their direction was not the same as mine, I went. I wanted to to win, I, I wanted to go somewhere else that, that aligns with my goals. How does going to Golden State not align with your goals? Now, I under, look, I'm not telling him that he, I'm not saying Dan Miller should go to Golden State. This is not, I don't think Dan Miller would be a good fit in Golden State, honestly. What I, what, what the unpopular topic of the day is, we should not worry about the how. As much as, 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 did he accomplish what he wanted to accomplish? Daniel Lillard, to me, is going to fall in that category of players as great as they are to never win a championship. He's going to fall in that Charles Barkley, Carmelo Anthony, John Stockton, Dominique Wilkins. He's going to fall in that club to uh, Tracy McGrady. Vince Carter. And the, and the problem with it is Damian Lillard is arguably better than all of them. But he, along with a lot of basketball fans, are are so hung up on the how. Because think about it. What if Kevin Durant never won a championship? How would we view him? Would we view him the same way that we now? Or would we view him the same way we view maybe a Russell
says this. What is the ultimate goal in sports? It's to win a championship. I understand that, you know, money is involved in this business, and of course, you also want to provide for your family. But when you play the sport, the ultimate goal is to win it all. And when I hear Damian Lillard say, I will never go to Golden State, I will lose every season before I win in Golden State, tells me that he is hung up on the how. Because best believe, he, he is trying to do exactly what Kevin Durant did. You realize that the team that you're currently on is not good enough to win a championship. But because they didn't like the team Kevin Durant went to, they didn't like the how, that has forever changed how people look at Kevin Durant. But because Damian Lillard put up all these stats and ain't been out the playoff, ain't been out the first round once, but once in his career. But but that but but because he wants to go to Miami, but not Golden State. We 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 appreciate that how, but not Golden State. Let's not be hung up on the how. Let's be more hung up on. Did they do it or not? That's the unpopular topic of the day. Who cares if Golden State? I think that Daniel Little would have a better shot winning a championship in Golden State than he would in Miami. I mean, playing alongside, I don't think he should do it, but playing alongside, and I, I don't think he should do it because the fit, I don't know the fit. I'm still, I still want to see what the fit looks like with uh, um, Chris Paul. So fit-wise, I don't think it fits. But if it if it were to fit, why would you not want to win a championship with Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Steve Kerr? Like, would you rather lose every year, which you've been doing before winning in <laughs> before winning in Golden State? But if that's the case, why go to Miami? Let's not let's let's not be so hung up on the why. And there you have it. That has been today's episode of the Unpopular Podcast. I truly, truly appreciate you guys. If you want a popular podcast shirt, hoodie, sweater, long sleeve joggers, links in the description below. Add multiple different colors, multiple different designs. Get your unpopular podcast merch today. Also, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. I am trying to build this community that we're that we we are building i appreciate all of you guys um tell a friend tell a friend tell a friend if you appreciate the unpopular podcast if you like the unpopular podcast and you haven't subscribed please subscribe if you have subscribed send it to somebody tell a friend tell a friend and and let's try to build this community as big as we can so i appreciate you guys Uh, also or follow the socials follow the instagram follow the tiktok I took a couple days off from the socials as far as posting reels and stuff, but we are back, and that's what I'll be doing. Uh, I interact with uh, people 
that comment on my social media as me commenting. So keep it respectful and we'll have a conversation. If you don't agree with someone, let me know and we'll talk about it. But uh, also, same thing for YouTube. If you don't agree with it, leave it in the comments. We'll talk about it. Just keep it respectful. Uh, and there you have it, man. I appreciate you guys. And until next time, much love.